Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the week of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat or bi-weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family-friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Now we've moved away from the Waratahs, so this can be a very positive chat from now on. We're moving into the Wallabies, so that lots to chat around there and a little bit more optimism. So... I think we'll enjoy this podcast a little bit more than we did on Monday. How are you, Ando? How is your week been? Mate, I am I'm doing pretty well. We've had a pretty busy week and weekend. I'm at the stage where my my eldest has just started school. And so oh. we're doing all those like weird, awkward kindy parent things where you're having to like socialize and be friends with people that you've never met before. <laughs> so I'm trying to navigate that, having to actually talk to people. And I, I generally try to avoid that where possible. So <laughs> it's been, it's actually, I'm actually enjoying it. Um, it's going well and it's been fun. So this weekend, this weekend was enjoyable from that perspective. How about you, mate? How's your weekend? Yeah, I went out to the Waratahs game on Saturday night. So that was... Did you? I did. I did. I gave a lot of abuse to everyone out on the field from what my wife tells me. <laughs> so I need to keep a lid on that. But um, yeah, my it was ears good. Are still ringing. <laughs> so I must have. I didn't didn't want to say that you said it either, but didn't want to add any <laughs> any fire to that that rumor. But no, it was good. It was good to get out there and support the guys. Had a good chat with some of the players after the game. So yeah, in all in all, good good weekend. Um, let's get into what we're doing tonight. Actually, Ando, run us through our social media platforms before we get into that. Sweet. So hit us up on Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook, pick and drive rugby podcast, and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Lovely. Now, tonight we will do some spicy news first up. We've got the Wallabies training squad announced this afternoon. So we'll dive through that, see who made it, who didn't, and um, we'll try and keep it quite brief because we... This is the second podcast of the week after all. Um, after that, we will do our review of round six. We'll answer some of your questions in the locker room and then we'll do our previews for round seven. Now, I haven't forgotten, we will do our Super Brew Yellow Cap and the winner this week goes out to Nug8. And Ando- Carlos, Calito, my friend from work, finally gets something. He's been languishing down in like 69. <laughs> 70th he was like two off the bottom previously and he was getting no end of mockery from me at work and now he's come out and got the golden cap for this week so congrats mate very well done you can give it back to me at work tomorrow (laughs) all i was going to say around that was that he must be listening to what we're saying on the podcast because i think we were pretty close to what ended up happening so yeah yep well done well done uh, carlos (laughs) and then just an overview of where things are up to up the top of the ladder. So we've got Hair Red in first place on 17 points. Second position, we've got Tombs on 15.5 points and then Wingy in third spot on 15 points. So Hair Red, well done. You've got a good little buffer buffer there and you've been up the top of the competition since we started. So you obviously know yep. something that we don't. You've won. You've got 11 win points so far. So I think that's a lot more than I've got. So well done for that alone. Um, Very well done. Well, why don't we jump on into things, my friend? That's what I was going to say. Let's move into the spicy news. 
All right, moving now into the spicy news. And we're going to start with the international scene where it has been confirmed that Wales are the champions this year of the Six Nations competition with France going down in about, what is it, four minutes of extra time uh, to Scotland, 23 to 27. Now, it was a really good match. Go back and watch it. But there's just some absolute scenes in the final minute of the game. Um, there's a turnover that the French get after the Scottish are hot on the attack and a fullback, Dulin, he gets the ball and then just doesn't kick it out. And the game was over. He just doesn't kick it out. He goes in for, a, he takes the ball into a ruck, gets turned over. And then subsequently after a bunch of hard hitting uh, drives up the middle of the field by the Scottish forwards, they're able to fling it out wide and Van der Merwe got the try to win them the game in four minutes of extra time. So absolute ridiculous decision taken there by Delain, but well done for the Scottish for always staying in there and making a fight out of it, despite Finn Russell's red card, much like you remember Samu Karevi's, um, how he got sent red carded in the World Cup for yes. raising his arm into the throat of the... Oh, he got a yellow it. card in the World Cup, but yes. Oh, a yellow card. Okay, Finn Russell got red carded for that. Wow. Um, in this game, same exact same thing. Uh, so it was pretty rough and Scotland were playing with one man down for the final 10 minutes of the game. Uh, but if we now move back into the domestic side of things, I'll just give you a quick overview of the ladder before we get into the major news, apart from the sacking of Rob Penny. If you have not heard our earlier pod for this week, please go back and listen to that for us. to We, we cover the entire TARS situation in a lot of detail. So please listen to that. We're not going to be speaking about it in this pod. So to review the ladder, you have Queensland Reds on top, sitting on 23 points, closely followed by the Brumbies on 20, then the Rebels on 10, the Force on 6, and the Waratahs in last place on one point. <laughs> so... Really, it's looking like a fight between the Rebels and the Force for that third place position to get them into the finals series. And at this point, I've got the Rebels going to be sitting there nice and pretty through to the end. I think they are the most consistent between them and Force and the most likely to be able to take a win off either of the top two teams. So we now move into the Wallabies squad selection for 2021. Um, what do you, do you think I should really quickly just run through a name or the players or oh, why don't we just go through? 40 players there. So maybe we'll let's just... not do that. Yeah. yeah. Let's just say the team's breakdown and then we'll chat through some of the, uh, the, big ins and outs that surprised us. How about that? Okay, let's do that. Okay, so the team breakdown. Three Force players, four Waratahs players, seven Rebels, 12 Reds, 14 Brumbies. So it's very obvious reward being given there to both the Reds and the Brumbies who have been the top two teams over the last two seasons. So the players are getting the just rewards there. The Rebels also have some pleasing inclusions and then the Force have three, which is a big up from none last year. Uh, you could argue that maybe they should have had one or two more. I think Fergus Lee Warner is very unlucky to not be there. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, I don't think there's anybody else you could realistically say should be in over any of the other players. So for now, for now, who were some of the players that really surprised you or you were pleased to see being in the squad? I'll start with the one that surprised me the most. And that's Lachlan Lonigan. Now I think there's the a wrong Lonigan. Yeah, the there's wrong a wrong Lonigan. There's a typo there. They've they're meant to say Ryan Lonigan. Damn. And right. I think we'd all be pretty non-surprised if Ryan's there. But Lachlan, really? 
No, I'm, yep. I'm joking there. I'm joking there. <laughs> I think Lachlan does deserve that inclusion, but well done to him. I think the biggest sort of trend out of all of this um, squad is that there's no capped hookers at all. Every hooker yeah, that is yep. in this squad is uncapped. So mm-hmm. definitely a change of pace there for, for Dave Rennie this year. And I guess he wants to see something different from his hooking position. It's important to remember that this is a training squad. Mm-hmm. There will be another squad announcement prior to the France series, which is happening June, is it not? Um, or is it July? I'm having a mental blank right now. Yeah, I mean, that's what they're saying. But at the same time, all of the media that has come out from this and even the little graphic that they posted on social media says Wallaby Squad 2021. Now, last year when they had their first training squad, they called it the Pony Squad. They, Mm -hmm. they, It was all over social media. It was released as Players of National Interest Squad. It was bigger. It was 45 from memory, was it? Last yeah, year, 45, 46, um, I think, because yeah. of the it's COVID bubble restrictions. Bigger squad, but it was more players that they just wanted to get into that environment and play around with. But this very much looks like they're saying this is the Wallaby squad for 2021. So yep. unless we see some injuries come up from players in the next few weeks, um, just from the, the later half of Super Rugby AU, I think these are the players that Dave Rennie wants to be picking his 23 from so i don't think yep. there's the players that didn't make this squad who are kind of on the outside out for a reason so i don't feel like there's going to be any more players picked when we actually go into camp later in the year so i had three players that i was particularly surprised were in the squad uh the first one was uh, jake just because of his injury jake Gordon? i would have thought that yeah, I would have thought Sorry, that Joe just, Power would have been ahead of him. He just dropped out for a second there. So I no worries. Jake Gordon. Jake Gordon. Definitely, Ooh. in my mind, is lucky to be in there considering the long-term nature of his injury. Yep. Um, he obviously has a particular style of play that Rennie likes and wants him to be bringing into the game. Um, I think that Josh Kemeny is a bit of a bolter. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Tiranui actually picked him one or two days ago as being a bolter to get into the team. So well done, Morgs. You've obviously got the ears of the selectors there. They <laughs> just wait to see what you write and then they base their decisions on that, which is good. They're like, uh, but picked him, put him in. <laughs> the biggest one for me, and this is noting that we've got like Andy Merhead, uh, Caden Neville, Dave Parecki, as well as people that, oh, and Sarah Uru as people that we might be a little bit surprised by. Uh, Izzy Nicerani. He's been injured for the entirety of the season and didn't make the squad last time. Yet with no game time at all this season, he now makes the squad after missing out last season. Oh, he's clearly doing what Dave Rennie wants, isn't he? We haven't and you seen know him. what? Like, <laughs> I know you're joking with the way you're saying that, but there's obviously some level of... Uh, Wallaby's oversight into his progress that they're happy with the way that he is returning from injury, maybe with the level of conditioning that he has coming back, that they're willing to take this gamble of including him within a 40 man squad. Maybe they see him as a future prospect um, if he can return well from the injury. Well, it asks questions, doesn't it? That why have they included Izzy Nicerani and Fergus Lee Warner's missed out? Now, he's in great form at the moment, and he's also that versatile back rower as well. He's not an out-and-out eight, as Izzy Nicerani is, but you'd think there's a lot of people that are saying that they would have liked to see him included in this squad because 
of the form that he's bringing. Now we've got players like Jake Gordon and Izzy Nicerani in there who haven't played a whole lot of ru- any rugby this year, really. Um, Suliasi Vunovalu is another player there that is surprising. Um, I don't know how oh, much. Come on. He's not that surprising with the amount of money that, uh, that the uh, Rugby Australia are throwing at him, surely. But do you think that he's going to play for the Wallabies this year? Uh, probably not, no. But I think it's another Corabetti thing where they bring him into the squad so he can learn the ropes at a high level because that's where they see him being in 12 months' time. Yeah, definitely. But I just I think there's plays there on the wing that potentially could have been included over him as well. Um, yeah. As you said, you've been quite skeptical of his transition so far. I thought he's done. He's shown bits and pieces of being quite um, adapting well to Union, but you also thought that he's not quite at the required level to even be starting for the Reds, let alone being in a Wallabies extended squad, um, yeah. even when it is so competitive at this time of year. So, uh, yeah. Um, where were we up to in our sort of breakdown of this? So biggest <laughs> ins and biggest outs. We were talking about biggest ins at this point. We hadn't got to the outs yet. Um, play. I was really happy to see Sarah Uru selected in there. Yes. He's had a great year this year. Um, yeah, not surprising that he's in there at all. I think he's shown, particularly from his performance against the Waratahs this weekend, that he's of the required level for test match footy. And another player that's come out of that Reds sort of um, training room that's just they're just punching out test quality players at the moment up there they've got definitely a lot of things right so very much looking forward to seeing how he goes and interesting to see how much game time he does get another one for me in that back row that I was surprised to see included was Lockie Swinton um, yes he's been good last year we haven't seen a lot of game time from him this year through injury and also through suspensions so I guess he's showing the national selectors what he wants. He, maybe Rob Penny's very much, uh, sorry, um, Dave Rennie is very much looking for that physicality that he brings. Um, but yeah, for Waratahs players, you would not be surprised if any of them didn't make it either. Yeah, I'm surprised that the Force don't have more at the expense of the Waratahs, to be yeah. fair. Now, I think, why don't, why don't we just continue this conversation with a few of the players that have been missed out? So I think one of the really big um, exclusions was just looking at the locking department. So you got uh, Brendan Payne, Ramosa, Falau Fainga, and uh, Jordan Ulesi as three of the hookers from three quality teams who are not in the squad. And we have four uncapped hookers in the team who are Feliti Kaitu from the Force, Lockie Lonergan, Brumbies, Alex Murphy Reds, and Dave Parecki from the Tars. Now, I think that that's a massive, particularly for Jordan Ulesi. He's been playing well since he came back, although he's still behind um, James Hansen. He's he's not cracked into the starting team again yet. Yeah, my only, my only sort of comment on that is... He hasn't played a lot of game time this year. He didn't play a lot of game time last year either. So he's quite injury prone, similar to Jordan Pattaya, but he hasn't put that body of work together yet, which some of these other players have. So if a player like Alex Murphy or uh, Dave Parecki were to miss out for Jordan Ulessi, I think we would be quite upset by that. I think Felitti Kaitu is super lucky based upon a horrific line out that was happening on Friday night. <laughs> they That was absolutely shambolic. Uh, some of the worst line out uh, throwing and just jumping that I've seen in a competition in the last like two or three years. 
it was very, very bad. So <laughs> I think he's quite lucky. I rate him. I think he's a very good player, but he'll definitely need to be throwing about 5,000 line-out throws between now and any international test. It's all right. We've got time. We have time. We have a lot of time. Um, now, a couple of the other players that I think were really unlucky to miss out as well. Uh, the big one in my mind is Jock Campbell. Okay, so I think Jock Campbell is probably the form 15 in the competition. And I'm sorry, Brumbies fans, I'm going to say something you really don't like. I think Jock Campbell is better than Tom Banks. And I think Jock Campbell should be ahead of him in a pecking order. And yet he's not even in the squad. So obviously I'm wrong, according to the Wallaby selectors. But I just think Jock Campbell is a more dynamic runner is a little bit a little bit better under the high ball and i just think he offers more in broken field attacking play um tom banks is pretty good at set piece play or that little uh pot pass back on the inside from the scrum half like we see them do heaps of times but i just i just rate jock campbell heaps and he's not even in the squad yep yeah definitely so the question here is who do you who do you take out of the squad to include in there well, thinking about it, you don't really have many like fullbacks within the the team that can actually be playing there. So that's a really tough one. I'm not sure exactly who they think. Yeah, so I guess the fullbacks finish. that we have in there, we've got Tom Banks. Um, we've got Reese Hodge, Jordan Pataya. I guess those are the three as potential yeah. options unless you put Lalesia back there, which you wouldn't do either. So interesting, isn't it? There's not really, I mean, Tom Banks is the only out and out fullback. And that's, that's the thing that really surprises me. And by the way, we accidentally said the wrong number before is 14 Brumbies players in the squad, not 13. Um, so that's because Tom Banks shouldn't be there. Ah, uh, that's it. That's yeah, it. That's, that's what. what yeah, that's <laughs> no, no, just just a joke, Brumbies fans. Just a joke, Brumbies fans. That was a joke. <laughs> um, so I think like Tom Banks is the only adding out fifteen. I'm really surprised I don't have cover for that in any way, shape, or form. Wright isn't a fullback. Pataya isn't a fullback. He hasn't played there at all. I guess so O'Connor is also potentially a fullback if we need to. He's probably the player with with O'Connor, Tamua, and Hodge. All of those players yeah. can comfortably, maybe Tamua can't play full as comfortably, but all of those players I was going to say could comfortably play 10, 12, or 13, um, or fullback or potentially. Yeah, yeah if that's why I was saying Tamua, maybe not so much in that. But mm. yeah, there's a little bit of switch switch there that's possible. I just think there's a lot to be said for having a player that is a specialist in that position. That's obviously why they've got Izzy Nasirani in the squad as a specialist number eight, but they don't have a specialist fullback aside from Banks. And that just surprises me because what if he goes down? Who do you have? Maybe maybe you bring um maybe you bring Jock Campbell into the squad if Banks gets injured with a significant injury. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh so that was a big well, I one guess for me. From, Any- from looking at this squad what kind of game plan do we think we're going to be playing oh, moving into this year? Question. Like do it's you have very, any on that? it's a very forward dominant squad, and the forwards that he's selected are very um, big ball runners, big ball presence presence. So I feel like we're going to be trying to to play a forward dominated game with a backline that's versatile to be able to make breaks where need be, but also finish things off. We've got some good finishes in there. Um, yep. So I'm wondering if he's that Rennie wants to set that template from the forward pack first and then finish it off with the back line around him. 
Uh, interesting to see I'm, what happens. I, I come the first test against France. I don't know who I'd be most comfortable starting at hooker. Um, you'd have to go with Murphy, wouldn't you? Out of you what they've selected. Or Parecki. Or Parecki. I actually think oh, Parecki. I, I very much rate Parecki. So I'd be I do rate Parecki, but I just think Murphy brings a little bit more mobility and uh, ball running around the park than Parecki does. Yeah, true. Um, with the, there's a pretty interesting point here. Uh, there are only two loose head props in the squad and three tight heads. So you've got Angus Bell and James Slipper as the Lucies, and then you've got Alatoa, Farmer and Tupo as the tight heads. So that's normally within a squad of this size, you've got three tights, three loose, mm. and then you have three or four hookers as well. And yet they've gone for four hookers and only two loose heads. That surprises me. Yeah, um, well, interesting that Harry Johnson Holmes doesn't get a selection either being that he can play both sides. And I don't know out of any of those other front rowers that we've, we've suggested can actually play both sides of the scrum. I get the feeling that Alatoa can, uh, but I might just be having that half memory based on something that's not true. So please don't crucify me. He probably, yeah, he probably can. He probably can. There's probably one or two of those guys that can go either side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, look, I think are there any um, other things you just want to quickly touch on or should we just finish up there and move into our chats about the games? No, I think we've chatted around this a long, long enough. So let's, um, let's move on <laughs> into the games. All right, let's go. Time to chat some rugby now. So we move into our round six review. And the first game of the round saw the Brumbies hosting the Western Force on Friday night at GIO Stadium. Final score was 42-14 to the Brumbies. Uh, a pretty pretty solid performance there from the men from Canberra. If you look at some of the key stats from the game, possession-wise, the Brumbies came out well on top, 55% possession with 45% to the Western Force, 62% territory to the Brumbies, only 38% to the Force. Six tries were scored by the Brumbies, only two by the Western Force. If you look at some of the stats from the game, it tells a pretty big picture. Nine clean breaks by the Brumbies to only four by the Force. 22 defenders beaten to only 12. 12 offloads by the Brumbies by five offloads to the Force. So all in all, I think this was a pretty dominant game by the Brumbies. I guess what we were expecting, but Ando, what was your kind of thoughts around the game? You saw all of it. Yeah, I watched the full game and I was just super impressed with the Brumbies pack because I was expecting so much less from the Brumbies pack. And I think a huge amount of that credit needs to be given to James Slipper. He came back early from injury. He was expected to be out for another week at least. And he did so well with his return and pushed for his inclusion that he came back in. And the force only won one of five of their scrums. 20% because of the dominance of the Brumbies at set piece. And that was just huge and really laid the platform. Um, the first 20 minutes of the game was spent almost entirely in the Western Force 40 meters. The Brumbies were just camped down their end of the field time and time again. And the Force were making really poor decisions about trying to clear their lines and just weren't able to impose themselves on the game in any discernible way. And in my mind, were just lacking some of the maturity and some of the ability to be able to impose themselves on the game and actually play with a bit of structure and play with a bit of um, bit of direction and get themselves into the right side of the field. So yeah, overall, the Brumbies were just clinical. And it was based upon forward dominance that I didn't think that they were going to have after the front row injuries that they've had. 
Yeah, and I think for the Force, they were quite heavily impacted by the loss of McIntyre in sort of the ninth minute of the game. They lost yeah. him early when he was clearing um, a ball from within the red zone and he went off with a strained hamstring. Don't know too much around the injury apart from that. But, um, yeah, with him off the field and John O'Lance coming on, it, the attack just looked not as potent. They looked, again, it's another centre pairing that they haven't had a whole lot of time to to compare or to um, work on, which I guess is a, another issue for this this side at, at the moment. With the amount of players that they have, new players in this environment, they've not got those combinations. McIntyre and Kubeli are only sort of starting to get their combinations going together now, which we saw last week against the Reds. But now that they lost him so early, the combination pairing between Kubeli and John O'Lance really wasn't clicking as well as as was needed. And I think when Ian Pryor came on in the second half, he really had a lot more go forward. Um, yeah. And you could see that there was that connection between their center pairing, which is so, so important for a team to get that go forward ball, particularly when you're playing a team like the Brumbies and you're getting out-muscled in nearly every aspect of the game. Simple go forward ball with hands on possession is massive. And that's what really damaged the Western force in this game. Tavita Kurandrani, I thought, had one of his best games so far for the Western Force. He looked really pumped to be back at GIO Stadium and playing against the Brumbies. Uh, he was welcomed onto the field and there was a lot of uh, cheering and support for him because he's a much-loved player down there. And, he, and I think he that yellow card, game. that yellow card in the first half really revved him up, I think, because when he came back on the field, he sort of wanted to make up for it. And he... Yeah. And for whatever reason, and I was thinking to myself as I was watching this, why haven't we seen Kuandrani running onto the ball from pace? He's so dominant when he does that, yet we haven't seen that this year. And in this game, he brought it back and he set up a great try. So, yeah, again, great to see that he's brought that that pace and that that run up back again. But it's it's wondering why we haven't seen it so far this season yet. I think one of the things that really impressed me in this game is just the quality of Len Ikatao too. He has such a good combination with Ira Simone on his inside that I I really rate him. He's been doing a fantastic job so far in that midfield for the Brumbies. I'd be super, super impressed and happy with the way that they've been playing. Um, he just has this composure. He has this ability to always be there on the shoulder of his centre because... Um, because Simone's doing so well with getting his shoulder through a tackle or putting uh, Ikitao into space. He's just, in my mind, he's playing smart, intelligent, physical rugby, which belies his age because he's still such a young player. Mm. So I'm keen to see how he develops over the next season or two. And it may well be that give it, give it 12 months, give it 18 months, that we might have that Brumby's back line be the Wallaby's back line in, in the future. Interesting. It'd be interesting to see what, yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens and how they progress. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed with the Western Force ability to disrupt the driving mall from the Brumbies. Now, we've yeah. seen that being one of their tapping weapons this year. And so far, there hasn't been a team that's really been able to get close or to disrupt it at all. But the Western Force pretty much nullified it every time they went to it, which was great to see. And for me personally, Lepetti Tamani was a big impact. Um, impact on that and was a big uh, key character that was able to disrupt that. But it came from watching it back again a few times. It was just simple that they were just, just they were basically getting quickly to the man with the ball and sacking him before the mall really got to set. And 
we've been saying for the last few weeks, how does a team legally stop the driving more? And it was good to see that the Western Force were actually effectively able to do it and they didn't give away penalties by doing it as well. Yeah, um, yeah very impressed with that. I think having someone the size and bulk of Sidaleki Tamani is a massive help in defending a mall. And I wonder if his inclusion into the Wallabies is because of the sheer physicality that he brings from that lock position. Normally you see someone of his frame maybe being uh, number eight, like Izzy Nasrani, but it's just great to have that level of physicality on offer. Even if he's slightly older, I think he's 34, um, soon to be th- Obviously, 35, but I think that's coming soon. So I think that's how it him, works. Is that how it works? No, I meant his birthday soon. That's what I thought. <laughs> um, and so I just think that he, he's he been a great inclusion in the last couple of games, just bringing this direct, no-nonsense physicality that is great at the set piece as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think I um, I wasn't watching this game live. I was out to, at a family function, but I was sort of following the score a little bit on the, the Rugby Explorer app. And it tells a pretty clear picture of what to expect that they Brumbies just kept piling on points. But when I went back and actually watched the game, I was rather impressed with the Western force performance. It didn't seem as one sided to me watching the mini, but from what you've said, Ando, it seemed a little bit uh, from watching the full game. It looked, it it was a little bit more so than that. So the Brumbies were dominant. They were, they were just definitely dominant. Um, The force, this was the worst force game of their campaign. Okay. Um, with without a shadow of a doubt, they well, I'm trying to I'm trying to be positive and give them some. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Like we can be positive yes. and say that they do have. Oh some no, you can't. But for, for them, for them, and the direction that they were taking previously with their team, this was definitely a step backwards. And I would hope for more and expect more from a force team, which has shown more throughout this season. Well, I guess that's a worrying sign, isn't it? That we've had so many games this season up and down, and we haven't seen. Um, a sort of trajectory of progression from this Western Force side. Now, we know that there are players coming in and out of this squad all the time through injury or um, through new signings and and just the environment that they are sort of branded as this international barbarians team. Um, But we kind of really thought last week they performed quite well against the Reds and they were quite effective at disrupting their game plan. But this week, they were very much off the pace, as you said before, Ando. So what do we put that down to? What is it around this force side that's not allowing them to actually build momentum to get a game plan and stick to it? Is it the chop and changing of players, the ins and outs through injuries? Is it the fact that they're bringing in international players mid-season that are affecting the, the scrum, the line out, those kind of things. What, what would you say is the reason that the Western Force aren't really able to get an improved performance week on week? It's got to be that continuity in the starting 15. Well, in the, in the match day 23. I mean, you've got people coming in and out of the squad so significantly. So you've had Sidaleki Tamani, who I think has been a good addition, but he's only just come in after being signed, what, two weeks ago? He's been in for the last two games, um, yep. but wasn't even with the squad at the start of the season. Yep. You've got Jordan Oluwafela, who was on the bench and got his debut, who's come across from, I think it was Leicester Tigers. And he has been with the squad for, what, two weeks? as well um, and he's just been parachuted in you've got the Argentinian guys who have who have been good but they've also just joined the squad about three weeks out from the season beginning and so you've got this mm-hmm. level of um, this level of unfamiliarity that the players have with the players around them and you compare that to 
the teams that are ahead of them. You've got the Brumbies and you've got the Reds particularly. And their rosters have obviously been the most stable from last year to this year. But then the Rebels, whilst they have had a significant amount of change, that hasn't affected their starting 15 as much in my opinion. Yeah. And so I just think that like the very fact that the, the force started with their captain Ian Pryor being the number nine. And then after what, two games dropped him to the bench. Like the fact that they're not continuing with their captain and dropping their captain shows that they didn't know who their best 15 was. Like if you think Kubeli is better than, um, better than Pryor, then start him there and don't make Pryor your captain. And then have to change that two games after two games into the season. So I just think that they need continuity, but they also, sorry, they need continuity. And in my mind, that continuity is impacting the the small mistakes that can creep into a team. So I saw that the force were just doing a couple of basic errors, like not kicking the ball out um, when they were going for touch or dropping the ball for unforced errors. Those kinds of things that are indications sometimes of a team that's either flustered or unfamiliar with those people who are around them. Definitely. And look, I don't want to talk just about the force. The Brumbies have done very well, um, but I guess we expected a performance of this caliber from this team. The Western force, we weren't really sure what to expect. So I just wanted to focus on that for a little bit. Um, around that whole thing, as you said, what what would you say is the best way forward? Do, do you think that the Brumbies, uh, the Western force, sorry, need to keep um, the players that they currently have sort of pick and stick to yep. build those progressions or do you think maybe it's now time to bring on some of the Western Australian born and raised players who were kind of have been in the Western Force Academy have been through preseason have been around last year this year some of those players who may be on the bench or even in the extended squad who might just be a little bit more settled and know the players around them they may not have the skill level and the X factor of some of these big international players, but they know the way that the force want to play the game. They know the setup. They know the calls. Maybe is it time now, do you think, that we bring these players in and then bring to start the game and then potentially bring some of those big hitters off the bench? I don't think so because the force is still pushing for that third place spot. And I think that the best chance they have with a few games remaining is to just stick with the players that they've been playing with so far this season and to not look at bringing any of more of the homegrown talent uh, coming in. But even saying that, they do have some really quality homegrown talent uh, or at least players that have been with them for a few seasons now, like your Jack McGregor's, Byron Ralston's, Henry Tafu, Marcel Brucky. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Felicity Kaitu. There's a lot of players there that, that have been with the force for a few years now um i i just think that they they pick and stick but also they just this is a coaching element where they need to get the mentality sorted with the players that they can stick to a game plan or stick to a style of play for the full 80 minutes i mean obviously any team wants this but there are just too many times where the force just make really poor errors that are just unforced or really really basic like dropping the ball or silly offsides like you know those coach killers yeah. the ones that are that are easy to fix but players when under pressure give these away and that seems to be happening more regularly for the force and they need to remove these small errors from their game as any team will want to in order to give themselves the best chance to actually compete with the top three teams because at this point their season is not has not been a success it's had moments of class and there are class players within that team, but they are not yet a class team. Nice. 
I um, didn't get to catch the full game. As I said before, I was um, at a family event, so I've only seen the highlights um, or the the 20 minute mini, but um, I don't have enough of an experience of the, or a feel for the overall game to have an honorable mention. But Ando, did you have anyone that you wanted to highlight from this performance? Yeah, there are a few. Um, so I mentioned Lenny Kittel before, so I won't speak to him much more. Um, I also thought James Slipper was immense coming back. So the Brumby scrum absolutely dominated the force. And a big part of that in my mind was due to James Slipper and his return. He was fantastic. Uh, the Brumby's locks disrupted the line out for the force. So, so significantly he, they, they did very well there. So that was, um, who was it? Caden Neville and Darcy Swain as a two. Uh, but then for the force, I was really impressed with Sidalecki Tamani as well. I thought he was good. And Henry Tafu, when he actually had the chance to get the ball, um, he was really strong in contact too. So Henry Tafu is a quality player to look at over the coming years. Uh, Tim Anstey ha- didn't really have a chance to do too much. He's been pretty hyped up over the last couple of weeks um, because of his great try, what, two weeks ago before he got the shoulder injury. Um, <laughs> but his return, his return was decent. He had that great footwork be- right before contact that you would expect from him coming from his sevens background, but he didn't have too much time to do much John Lance, I I wasn't sold on like he just had a couple of errors his defense was good his defense was strong um but John Lance, to me I think when when um Rob Carney returns I think you're gonna see John Lance drop out of the squad and Jack McGregor will go on as a reserve will be in the uh, in on a bench as a reserve back three or fly half if needed, depending upon depending upon the extent of McIntyre's injury. So that's my quick summary of some of the key players within the game. Fantastic. Is there anything else you want to say around this or should we move into the Waratahs game? Let's move into the Queensland Reds game. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice. Well said, Ando. Well said. Uh, so game two of the week saw the Wobblies hosting the Queensland Reds at Stadium Australia on Saturday night. Final score of the game was 46-14 to the Reds. I was going to say Warriors. Okay. <laughs> let's not. Let's just. Let's just stick to the facts, shall we? Um, and by yeah, all accounts, this really was just a thumping by, by a much better side of again boys against men. Um, but let's run through some of the key stats of the game. Get that out of the way first and foremost. So seven tries to one for the Reds. Um, the Waratahs kicked three penalty goals. The Reds only kicked one. 53% possession to the Reds, 47% to the Waratahs, 56% territory to the Reds, 47% pose- uh, territory to the Waratahs. Not a whole lot there, but as we go to look at some of the other stats, you will see that there is the stats speak a very different um, story. If we look at the clean breaks, Waratahs made four, the Reds made 20. Defenders beaten, the Waratahs beat 23, the Reds beat 35. Offloads, the uh, Waratahs made four offloads, the Reds made 10. So pretty obvious when you look at just the clean stat alone, four clean clean breaks alone, sorry, four for the Waratahs and 20 for the Reds. That really big... That sums up the game pretty much right there. I think that within that, it's just such a stark comparison of the defensive integrity of both of the teams. Uh, The Waratahs, we were at the game and we started strongly 
for the first, what, 10 minutes of the game. Yep. And then everything started to turn from there. And at no point did we look at getting back into the game whatsoever. After that first try to Tate McDermott in the 13th minute, you just knew from there the floodgates were opening. And after that, the game was over. I just did not believe that we were going to win the game after that point. And to the Reds' credit, despite the fact that they actually dropped a lot of ball and blew, I think it was two or th- two more try opportunities yep, in that by first just half. dropping the ball cold. Um, like So they could have had nine tries, which is scary to think about. Um, but they... They were uncharacteristically poor in their ball handling, particularly in the first half, but really ramped it up and put them to the sword in the final 20 minutes of the game. Yeah, and this Waratahs team, whilst being positive for them, they were still fronting up and making hits all the way through the game, and they were still present and involved in the game, but they just lacked basic skill set. They were making simple errors. Whenever they got into the opposition half, Either a forward would be in the back line for a simple hands through the back line and they'd drop it or they'd go into contact and have no support there so they turn the ball over. They just were never able to string more than five or six phases together. They were never really able to mount any pressure on the Reds. They'd get down in the opposition half and then they'd just turn the ball over very easily, which then allowed the Reds with the up-tempo game that they were playing to counter-attack And again, the Waratahs weren't ready for that. And so they made a lot of meters, particularly in that middle channel, um, simply off Waratahs' inability to hold possession. And I think we also need to state that uh, a part of the difficulty that the Tars had was they lost both of their starting locks in the first 20 minutes of the game. So uh, one was head injury and the other was... um, uh, Sam Wykes got an elbow or shoulder injury. Elbow or shoulder. So, We're not too sure what that was. Yeah, yeah. He, he was in a lot of pain. He was in a lot of pain. So yeah, Caird and Wykes were both gone within the first 20 minutes. And so you had the reserve back uh, reserve locks come on and they, they did okay. But when you lose the experience and the skill of your two starting locks at that point in the game, it's a very hard battle from there. And we were just pumped in the scrum. The line-out wasn't too bad, actually. Our line-out wasn't too bad. Serviceable. Um, yep. It was serviceable. and I mean, we were 87%. They were 94%. So we won 14 of 16. They won 16 of 17. Yep. So that's not too bad, considering that situation. But the, it, it was just hard. It was hard being there. And I mean, look... You, you were getting frustrated and you were um, loudly stating your opinion across the empty stadium, Australia, so everybody could hear what you were saying. Hey, they, and I if was you just, go, have you gone on, back? On, no, I was going to say, have you gone back and watched the replay? You can hear us yelling. <laughs> can you? You oh, can. Brilliant. There's a few times where I, I could hear myself hi, yelling. Mom. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just, just sitting next to you, you were at times thinking, why, why aren't you getting pissed off, Andrew? Why aren't you getting frustrated at this? And I'm like, because I'm resigned to our fate. It's like, I just know that we're losing. I don't care if that was a potential knock-on and lead up to that try because it means, what, we lose by five less points? <laughs> we're still having a record loss here. Like, <laughs> so that was, that was just kind of my feeling of being at the game was I enjoyed being at the game. Company was good. Thanks, mate. And um, heading out there is always a bit of an experience and good, good to just get out and have a night out. But it was just depressing and disappointing being there although credit to the players they didn't give up they may not be good but they didn't give up 
Yeah, and if we're sticking on the Waratahs and the positive signs from them, I will say I was very impressed with their new centre combination. So Zaya Parisi yeah. and Lelakai Fiketi, we actually saw some go-forward ball from those guys. Um, and yes, whilst Parisi was a little bit over-eager to start with and pushing some passes he probably didn't need to, he was still sort of present everywhere around the field. So he definitely had the desire to be involved. And Fiketi was just a step above any other center we've seen this year so far that we've played. So um, it, it was great to see those guys come on. It is their first game back together. Um, hopefully things can start to cement as they play together for the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, positive to see that we had a little bit more go forward ball, particularly in our center pairing when we had the ball, if we weren't yeah, dropping it or kicking it aimlessly. Hopefully, Fakedi's ankle injury isn't serious. Um, speaking with a couple of the players after the game, they thought he'd be okay. No, he's fine. Next he's fine, match. remember? So, he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. He's fine. That's what a certain player said to us. Oh, yeah, he's fine. He'll be, he'll be in next week. No, but, he'll be fine. He's uh, fine. Looking, looking at Fakedi uh, walking after the match, he was not putting much weight on it at all. I'll be surprised if he's playing next week. I hope he is, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's at the very least heavily strapped. Well, that was the thing. I think if not... I guess the Rob Penny situation takes the cake for this season and that will be what everyone remembers this season as being when we sacked our coach halfway through. But if it wasn't for that, this would be the season of the moon boot. I mentioned to you mm-hmm. after the game, Mando, when we were waiting by the sort of shoot um, and talking to some of the players, how many players were walking around in, track, in, um, in suits but in moon boots? There was about six of them all hobbling around and that's just ridiculous. I don't know whether it's an S&C thing that we're getting players with these lower leg injuries, um, a ground situation. I don't really know what it is. It, there's a, it, it's just it doesn't seem to be affecting other teams as much as it's affecting us this year. Yeah, yeah. but if uh, we just move away from the Waratahs now and go back to the Queensland Reds, they were impressive. I thought Tate McDermott had a very strong game. His, uh, his little dart to get that first try was fantastic and it showed good um, mobility. It showed excellent strength and contact to get over the line, carrying three Waratahs players who were doing weak tackles over the line with him. Um, he is definitely a contender for that Wallabies starting or bench spot. I was, I was surprised last season when Gordon was chosen over him, but he's had a very strong season so far. And with Gordon having far less game time, I think McDermott and White are the two that are just the clear front runners for those two nine spots within the squad. Yeah, out and out um, ahead of everyone. I was, um, I was impressed with Hunter Baisami again. This guy's just, he's just getting better and better every week. Yeah. Um, putting yeah. hits on in the, in the center of the field, making breaks down the edges his kicking game's really improved as well. He was doing some really nice touch finders and and kicking smartly in this game. Um, but yeah, I've been really impressed with him, and he's definitely he's developed this season his all round skill set. So he's becoming more and more of a rounded rugby player as opposed to just a crash ball center option, which I'm like hundred percent agreed. And the other player of note, I think, is um, Jordan Pataya. Now Jordan Pataya for me, is of note because we saw some of the best of Jordan Pattaya and we also saw some of the worst of Jordan Pattaya. So that break he made when he got on the outside of uh, Tetra Faulkner and I think it was Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. Yeah, and he was able to slice between them, ball in both hands, kind of showing, going, and then getting on their outside shoulder of Faulkner. Was fantastic. Really great play. Loved it. 
the only difficulty was he also dropped the ball a whole bunch of times dead cold with hardly any reason for it. He has possibly the worst handling of any player in Australian rugby. His ball retention is just horrific. And that has to be a focus for improvement, particularly if he's going to be playing an international level. You cannot cough up possession as cheaply as he does, um, despite the fact that he's an incredibly talented and dynamic player who can have these moments that just turn a game. In my mind, the consistency needs to improve before he can live up to the hype. Yeah, definitely well said. If we look at this game as overall... We, as Waratahs fans, weren't happy with the Waratahs' result. Would you say that as a, or the Reds fans out there would be happy with this result from the Reds? Or this performance, say, more so than the result? Um, yes, because they still scored a seven tries to one victory. So yep. their attacking game was definitely on point. Uh, it was also a record score against the New South Wales Waratahs in New South Wales. And so, they hadn't won there in eight years. Yeah, Either. so yeah, I think if we just take it all from that point of view, yeah, of course they're going to be happy with it. But you specifically mentioned the performance. Um, there are definite areas where they can be working on. And I think that that's going to be the clinical nature with which they are executing some of the backline moves, uh, particularly after the initial clean break has been made. Their ability to keep possession and retention of the ball after those initial breaks wasn't always as good as they would want it to be from what is shaping up to be a championship side. Uh, I think that'll probably be the main work on for them. Um, that would be the main area. Plus, uh, Vunavalu wasn't too impressive for me. Uh, I, I see why he's hyped and I see the strength that he has and the strengths that he has, but I don't know. He's just not impressing me at this point in time. I hope the hammy and tweak that he went off for isn't significant. In the post-match interview, Thorne couldn't say what grade it was because he does need to go for scans and are a bit concerned about it. But it's it was I was I actually thought they were better without him on the field. Hegarty provided a little bit more of a balance in the wing positions from Dunguno and Funavali. Yeah, nice. I think. I was. I remember thinking to myself at half time that the Reds were well and truly the better team on the on the day and on the park, but they weren't putting in a great performance. Um, they did improve things in the second half. They didn't have as much drop ball, and they weren't giving away. Or they weren't um, sort of fluffing as many opportunities. They were sort of they were finishing them off more than they were putting the ball down. But at the same time. This definitely the performance that they put out this week wouldn't win them a Super Rugby AU final. But they didn't need to be putting in a championship performance this week either. They were coming up against the worst team in the competition. So they pretty easily cruised home from this. Um, I still think that there's potential for them to step up further. Um, and I, I, I was impressed enough with what I saw to not have any worry that I still think that they're going to be um, there come the final, if not at home, they'll be definitely in the final. And potentially, I still think that they're up there as, as favourites to win it. So um, I, I, was, I was happy with the performance for them. I think that they did enough against the t- opposition that they were playing. And that's been sort of the theme for them this year, that they've, even when they haven't played particularly well, they've still done enough to win, yeah. which is a really good trend for them moving forward. Any honourable mentions from you? Um, we can't go past Alex Murphy. He needs to be mentioned. Three tries, two off-rolling off malls. Um, yeah, three tries off the bench, two off-rolling malls, and one from just a broken play. Great, great performance. I think he's well 
well-deserved that he's been included in the Wallaby squad. He's been performing really well this year. Um, yeah, I, I've liked him more than Brandon Pangramosa so far this season. Um, I think he just brings a little bit more sort of ball running ability around the park. He's a little bit smaller, a little bit more mobile. Um, and yeah, I think it'd be good to see how he goes in the next level. Agreed. Anyone for uh, you? Just to choose someone positive from the Waratahs, I think Izzy Parisi had a really good game along with Fichetti. Um, But Parisi just plays with a level of physicality and explosiveness that's really, really important that our backline just doesn't have. It's what I would have hoped that Maroa would have brought, but he just never did. So I was very happy that Parisi was back. And you were right, he was a little bit excited in the first kind of 20 minutes of the game but he settled into it really well and contained his aggression and channeled it very very well for a few explosive runs um so yeah yeah and i i would say in that he did very well to keep level-headed because paisami who he was playing opposite was um pushing the envelope a bit and putting some very big hits on him high and and lifting him as well so he did well not to sort of bite into that and and overreact like he did in round one (laughs) i agree um, let's should we just move on into the locker room now? I think we've we've finished that segment. Uh, get this podcast rolling along. I agree. Let's go. Let's just go. Let's go into it. So our first question tonight comes to us from Chris Lamb. Um, and he asked, Should Jock Campbell feel robbed with today's announcement of the 40 man Wallaby squad? Give me a better informed fullback in Super Rugby AU at the moment. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree. I actually agree. So I'm guessing that that's a red supporter that's saying that because the Brumbies supporters would be saying that Tom Banks is the form fullback. Uh, but regardless, I think he is a bit robbed. We've already spoken about that. I'm not sure if we need to say much more. Yep, I agree. I would like to see Jock Campbell in there as well. Um, but I guess I don't know where Rob Penny's looking at us. Not Rob Penny. I keep doing this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dave Rennie. Dave Rennie. They're so similar names in my head. Um, I, I wonder if he's going for a more Brumbies orientated back line. So he thinks that by having um, Tom Banks at the back, he'll be able to interject more and be more familiar than playing a more stacked Reds back line where Jock Campbell might feel more familiar with. I might think that might be the only reason why he's gone with Tom Banks over Jock Campbell, but I don't know. I guess yeah. we'll see as we get later into the year and, and teams start being announced and that kind of thing. I think Jock Campbell is the victim of the fact that you've got three out-and-out wingers that are selected. Actually, four out-and-out wingers that have been selected in the squad. So you've got Donguni, Korobedi, Muirhead, and Vunavalu, who are all straight wingers. Like, there is nothing about them that is fullback. And of them, like, they're all similar players. Well, Donguni, Korobedi, and Vunavalu are essentially... Uh, the, the specific skill sets that they bring differ a little bit. But they don't, none of them have a strong passing or kicking game or are particularly good under the high ball. And so that leaves you with what? Muirhead and Wright as the other two that bring a point of difference from that kind of power game. And so I'm, I think that Jock Campbell's position has probably been taken by Tom Wright or Andy Muirhead. And that if we had to say, okay, if Jock Campbell's in the squad, who do you take out? For me, it's probably Tom Wright. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. That's fair. I guess this next question comes into that same kind of th- the theme. So it comes from Simon Nelson and he asks, was Fergusley one of the men who was robbed the hardest? <laughs> uh, he's, he's up there. He's up there definitely with Jock Campbell as the one who's been robbed the hardest. Maybe Brendan Pang or Ramosa could feel pretty hard done by. Um, I, my question is, okay, who do you take out? 
for Fergus Lee Warner? You got to have someone that's out of the squad. Who do you take out? Sidalaki Tamani. But they're different players. They're not the same player. Yeah, but Sidalaki Tamani can't play anywhere else. Yeah, but he's also that power lock that we need. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd almost be taking out Darcy Swain, Mm -hmm. maybe. Or Darcy Swain or Tim Anstey. Oh, no, I think. No, I think Tim Anstey needs to stay in there just for his ball running ability. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd probably take out Darcy Swain and be putting Fergus Lee Water in there. So, yeah, I think he's been robbed pretty hard and he may yeah. well uh, have been robbed the hardest. Yeah, I think we can so. definitely agree that Jock Campbell and Fergus Lee Warner are probably the two hardest done by in Australian rugby at the moment. Yep. Um, fo- followed closely behind by Brandon Pangramosa. Yep, um, last question comes to us from Tim Foster and he asks, with Hooper back at the Tars in 2022, where will Penny, I, this didn't age very well at all, but <laughs> where will the Waratahs play Carlo Tizano off the bench next year or will they move him to six or eight? He has been one of the Tars' best players this year. It may well be that a six position comes available if uh, Swinton gets moved into the locking department, which has been something that's been spoken about in the past. Uh, he's got the timber. He's got the frame for it. It's just whether he can adjust his style of play to being in tight, particularly in the set piece role that that requires of him. Uh, if so, that will mean that there's a six position available, although Charlie Gamble is pretty highly rated as well. And he's seen quite often as a six. I think he's got a little bit more height on Tizano. We saw Tizano at the game last night and he's not a big guy. He's not tall. No, he's not. No. So having Hooper and Tizano as a six-seven combination would just be another Hooper Pocock issue all over again, um, in terms of height with around the park. So I don't know. I think he's going to be bench. I think he's going to be a bench player, and that Hooper may well just not be playing full games anymore. But uh, but he also can. He's so capable. I mean, the question is. First of all, does Hooper come back to the Tars next year? We haven't been yeah, he does. confirmed he of does. that. Um, but the other thing is Michael Hooper is not even featured in the Wallabies team for this year at all. So it's that, he's not back yet. So, yeah, he's not, he's not been featured. Yeah, he's not at the squad, but they're saying that this is the squad. So does he just slot straight back in? Because then there's some questions about who they've picked there in that seven position. They've picked more sevens if Michael Hooper is going to take a position as well. Hmm. So, I mean, for me, I personally think I, I'd, I'd like to see Tizano playing six. I don't think he's got the height of an eight. He could be he could be that kind of eight. I think the kind of um, pooper combination that we had going was better with Pocock at six as opposed to eight. Um, I But in saying that, I don't like moving Swinton into the second row because we lose a lot of his ability and what makes him unique as a player in his physicality. He won't get out of the breakdown, out of the scrum fast enough from the second row to be able to have enough influence on the rest of the game. Um, So, yeah, interesting to see what they end up doing. I I think personally that Tizano and Hooper both need to be starting somewhere in in that front forward pack. Whether it is a six-seven combination and maybe moving Swinton out to eight, I could see that being quite effective. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see what happens and who ends up being the coach for the Waratahs next year, and and who we sign in the off season might have another impact on that completely as well. Agreed, agreed. Well, um, I think that's the end of the locker room, and why don't we now move into our preview of the upcoming round? Let's go. <laughs> All 
All right, we move now to the round seven preview and we're hitting up the Waratahs versus the Brumbies. This will get played at the absolute quality rugby ground, which is the SCG. Waratahs versus Brumbies. I think it's Brumbies by a freaking cricket score. Um, I'm going to be going by 30. Nice. A cricket score because it's at the cricket ground? Yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah, look, there's only really one way this is going to go, particularly after the week that will be for the Waratahs, after they've just sacked Penny. There's no way they're going to be up enough to play or to match this Brumby side, who is very much hot on the heels of the Reds, want to get that bonus point, get as many points on the table to try and get that, regain that lead. So Brumbies for me, I'm going to go by 50 I just holy crap. Yeah, I just think <laughs> the Brumbies, last time we played them down in Canberra, the Brumbies were very good at sticking to their set piece. And the Waratahs had no way of disengaging that. We got completely outplayed in the, the line out, in the mall, and in the scrum. But the Brumbies have now shown in recent weeks that they're also able to score tries out wide in their back line as well. Our back line isn't we're not great in cover defense to stop those players to stop that momentum. So if the Brumbies aren't going to be scoring through the middle, they're going to be scoring out wide. And I just, I feel like this is going to be a game where after about 20 minutes, the Waratahs are just going to drop their heads and the Brumbies are just going to roll, roll on through. So it's going to be a big score. How many tries do you think Farfang is going to get? Three, four, six. Yeah, just the inability of us to stop a rolling mall. Well, I mean, and that's now the, we've got injuries to the locks. It's just going to be incredible. That so, really is a problem. Like we've got inexperienced locking combination. If the Brumbies can literally just kick off, regain the ball, and then get a penalty and kick to the corner, they can literally just score tries through their mall all game long. And there's nothing the Waratahs can do to stop that. We may even lose players in that process <laughs> to yellow cards. <laughs> so. Um, I just, I don't see this going any other way than a massive cricket score. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, I, I fully agree. Uh, the only other thing that could be said to that before we quickly move on is that there is some evidence that sacking a coach leads to a short-term turnaround in the performance of a team. It's been uh, studied across multiple sports. Uh, my argument for that is usually the sacking of a coach comes at a time where there's been a sustained run of really poor performances. And usually that sustained run is an aberration or is not... Um, is not in keeping with the standards of the team. I think our poor run is in keeping with the standards of the team. And so I don't think a change of coach is actually going to create any significant change in the outcome of the Waratah's performance. So I, I'm not expecting that bounce back that can sometimes happen. I'll be happily, yep. I'll be pleasantly surprised if I'm wrong, but I think it's going to be another heavy defeat. So we move to game two now, Rebels versus the Reds. This is going to be a massive match down in Melbourne. So... The Rebels have a point to prove to prove they're genuine contenders for the championship. Uh, I don't think anyone's expecting them to catch first or second place, but to lock down that third position and to prove that they can mix it with the big boys and to back up the really good performance that they showed against the Reds up in what round one, two of the season, two. one of the early games. Two. Yep. So I, I'm still picking the Reds mm -hmm. for this one, but I think it'll be tight. So I'm going to go Reds by eight. Reds by eight. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, um, I agree with what you're saying. I think the Rebels um, are going to be up for this one. It's their second home game of the year after a whole year away last year. This is, they came so close to the Reds last time and the game plan really worked for them for just staying close and kicking points. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Reds can change their game plan a little bit and try and uh, fix things up in the red zone to try and not give away as many points in their half or maybe just try and play the game in the Rebels half so that they don't actually have the chance to kick points. Um, but in saying that, uh, I think the Reds the Reds are on a roll at the moment. So it's going to be hard for the Rebels to disrupt that momentum. They may come close, but I don't really see them winning. I am going to say the Reds by one point at the moment because I Ooh. think, I very much think, actually, no, that won't work. But I, I think what we will see is our first super, um, super time, is it calling, or golden try where the scores are locked at full time and we yep. go to, to extra yep. time. So that actually won't work because you won't get one point, you'll get five. So let's say Reds by five, <laughs> but it's going to be off extra super time and the Reds will have the ability to score the tries where the Rebels have struggled that this year. Yep, agreed. All right, cool. Now let's just quickly jump across the New Zealand comp. Now we're not going to cover the matches from the last week except to say, well done Chiefs for getting over the Blues. That was a pretty big game. Um, Crusaders versus Highlanders. I'm picking Saders by... Uh, we don't even need to say the margin. We don't bother for this one. Saders, I think we're both going to say. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you can't... The Unfortunately, the Highlanders haven't shown... Well, they've fallen away in the last few weeks. Uh, the Crusaders have just gone from strength to strength. And their performance last week against the Blues goes to show that there's really no one that's going to stop them this year. Agreed. And then finally, we have the Blues versus the Canes. I'm going to pick the Blues at home, despite the narrow loss that they had to the Chiefs. Um, I think the return home will be a kind of the correction that they need to get the, to get their season back on track. Yeah, I think this one will be a tight game as well, um, where the other game was probably going to be a bit of a blowout. But yeah, I can't go past the Blues at home. They want to keep their competition on track as well. So they'll be doing everything they can to secure a home um, a home victory. So I'm going to go with the blues. All right, mate, let's finish it there. It's been a big night. We've just recorded for about two and a half hours. About that. <laughs> about two, two episodes two though. Hours. So don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all good. Um, so I'm very keen to get these pods out and hopefully dear listeners, you enjoy them. Please get in touch. We mentioned our socials earlier, hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, let us know your thoughts and please may we all have the Waratahs in our thoughts and prayers that it is much needed. <laughs> it is so very much needed. All right. You have a great week, everybody. And we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.